Welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this episode, we're looking at the growing importance of ESG to M&A in the EMEA region. That's following on from a report by SS&C Intralinks and Merger Market on the topic. I'm joined by Tanya Gear, the Managing Director and Head of ESG Advisory for EMEA Sustainable and Impact Banking at Barclays Investment Bank. Hi, Tanya. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to be here. So, Intralink's ESG survey found a wide regional difference within Europe when it comes to implementing ESG in M&A. Can you tell me what kind of variance you're seeing between the different regions in Europe? For sure. Well, I think looking back, maybe we have seen a broader variance and that was mainly, I think, the Nordics and Netherlands have been a leader. But admittedly, in, in the recent transaction we've been doing, you know, we have seen this rapidly changing and other blanks really, you know, other countries playing catch up. So we're working quite a bit with Iberia, with Italy, as you know, stakeholder pressure really is um, more consistent everywhere. And if you look at, you know, drivers like the SFDR, the EU taxonomy, all of those regulations are EU-wide. So, you know, I guess we at least have to hope that, you know, we're going to see more and more standardization and, you know, I kind of move into the same direction. And I think from an M&A perspective, really, if you want to have, you know, the whole of Europe as a level playing field, for potential buyers or investors, then I think you really want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're best of class in, in, in what you do from an ESG perspective, as otherwise you, I guess you narrow that field and that will definitely impact valuations. Thank you. And while 65% of those polled in the survey said they undertook enhanced due diligence on all their deals, that was far from standard across the market. And also less than half of those surveyed did due diligence on a target supply chain. How seriously do you see dealmakers taking ESG-specific due diligence in their M&A processes? I think we have really seen a meaningful growth in the number of ESG vendor due diligence work streams in the M&A transactions that we're doing really over the past, I would say, 12 months. And, you know, that is a, especially in Europe and that is especially on the sponsor side. And the main reason I do think, you know, that, you know, we're seeing more, you know, consideration of ESG implications into the M&A deliberations is to identify possible risks and, you know, possible costs. But more interestingly, I think we also saw quite a few cases where we saw the seller actually asking for ESG vendor due diligence to really highlight the, 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 you know, the quality, the ESG quality of the asset and the potential upside, you know, um, to that. So, yeah, I do think it really is, it's, it's a new phenomenon that I would think in, uh, in two years time, you wouldn't ask me the question anymore. So we'll have to see, but we definitely have seen a, a massive increase over the past 12 months. Thanks. And one of the challenges that investors are coming up against is integrating ESG information with fundamental financial data. Can you explain how much of a challenge it is to combine that ESG information with financial data and how can that process be improved? Well, you know, I think clearly that is still one of the biggest challenges that, you know, that we're facing in, in ESGs. 
companies struggle to measure, you know, and track their ESG metrics and their KPIs on an, on an absolute basis. So now, you know, when you look to integrate that on a, I guess, line by line basis with financial data, that becomes very challenging, no, no doubt. For example, you know, there are things like how do you integrate the cost of physical risks or, you know, kind of the impact of potential carbon prices. And, you know, if you kind of take a step back, you know, I think in, in April this year, we've seen the ESMA, the European Securities and Market Authority, for example, they published a review on, you know, the financial disclosure documents issued by EU-based companies. And I think it really confirms, you know, what, what, what you're saying that, you know, it was 58% of, of issuers really failed to include both physical and transitional risks. And then we had, you know, climate stress tests from the Bank of England, from the ECB, and very similar outcomes on that, you know, there's really an underestimation from the, the risk and how they, how to include that from, from, from climate warming and that is, you know, kind of the, the, the large companies we're looking at. So you can only imagine what that means and the challenges that means for, I guess, smaller institutions who don't have the same, you know, breadth and widths of staff to really look into that, to really track the data, but then also include it. So really still one of the biggest challenges. I hope more regulation down the line will, will, will help us more for standardization. But Time being, really, I think this is this is one of the major major areas where we most struggle. And would would you say it's too fragmented at the moment? You, you say that the bigger institutions they've they've got the capacity to deal with that, but you you mentioned about it's becoming more and more standardised. But how are you able to elaborate more on that? You mentioned the EU taxonomy. Yeah, well, I guess you know the, the fragmentation definitely is the problem. You know, kind of we you know we have you know I think everyone is is meaning it well and we're having different regulations coming up all across Europe from different entities. But, you know, kind of to make sure you're really kind of a, adhering to all of them that are important, but also kind of different regulations that, again, have different, you know, requirements. Um, it's a really tough one, you know, and I guess the EU taxonomy really is a, is a good start for that. But, you know, it's, it's such a small part. And if you look at the, you know, kind of in, in terms of how much we can define as, as taxonomy aligned, you know, it, it is a start. And, you know, but it really is, I think, that the divergence of the different programs, we need to come into one, you know, kind of streamline. And hopefully um, some some of those institutions will, will lead us down that path. Great. Thank you. And now looking at, at greenwashing, which is a major topic within ESG. There are some signs of pushback from investors who are concerned about greenwashing and see their firms as maybe placing too much emphasis on ESG. What do you make of that? Well, it's a, it's, it's a tricky question, I would say. Yes, clearly, you know, we have seen greenwashing on the rise. And, and why is that, right? It's, it, you know, it's a difficult one if you're both an investor or a company these days. As you see, you know, stakeholders, including consumers, investors, you know, everyone pressuring companies to really demonstrate on how you are, you know, you know, showing your ESG credentials. And, you know, so, yeah, clearly, you know, kind of given there is a commercial pressure to do that, you know, there is always, you know, that, you know, everyone wants to be more green or more sustainable. So that really kind of, um, you know, creates a challenge. So, you know, we have seen numerous legal cases, you know, um, over those clients in, 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 I'd say also the, the recent, you know, 12 to 18 months. 
And it's both, you know, kind of, I think, in the financial sector, but also the non-financial one. And, you know, kind of it has been financial regulators, but certainly also kind of, um, you know, from competition authorities that really kind of went into that. So it's definitely a problem. Um, but, you know, I think it really has awakened the awareness from everyone, the recent cases from the SEC, you know, kind of names like, you know, from H&M to DWS, like what we have seen in the press has really, I guess, sharpened the senses for everyone to make sure that, you know, you look twice on kind of what you really, you know, can you really follow up on what you're stating here? And I think one important point that we really need to make, and I think I hear this more and more in discussion, is also that everyone needs to make an effort to define those terms a bit more. We talk about ESG, we talk about sustainability, but that means something very different for the buy side, for the sell side, or, you know, for the consumer on the street. So I think that really is, is a big thing before we can say, like, are we going too far? Because I think we're on the journey and, you know, I, we definitely hear the, the question that you asked as a second question, have we gone too far? And I think similar when, you know, in the, in the wake of the financial crisis, we had the same questions on have we gone on over-regulating? Is, is, is that the same for ESG and will people kind of withdraw and maybe have a negative view on it? And I can only say from, from, from my side, is it, it, it's not what we see. I think we're on a path and, you know, this, this path will develop and, you know, we all learn as we go along because, you know, nothing is set in stone yet. But I think what really, you know, is, is the difference that we're not looking for pure rules and regulations and box ticking exercise. But I think everyone in the industry, at least on, on what we do, should kind of have a focus on how do we implement this, this thinking of, of ESG on kind of how we make this, you know, kind of a future proving businesses and make this an opportunity kind of for sure, making sure we manage the risk, but also kind of this is coming and how can you future proof businesses and making that an integral part of M&A processes and the investment processes, I think, is where we want to get to. Yeah, and I guess that links back to what you were saying about the kind of standardisation of, uh, of financial metrics, which really helps all, all sides. And I guess companies can use those to show what they're doing with the, the more standard metrics they use. 100%. And um, I think we'll also see more of the auditing. Um, so no doubt that you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have more standardisation, but also someone you know, double-checking the information. Thank you. And Euro has been taking the lead on ESG globally, but how much more needs to be done despite this strong start? <laughs> well, I guess uh, I, I might have a skewed perspective here. <laughs> um, so I think there's definitely, you know, we, we, we're only just about started, I guess, on a, on a journey. And, you know, I think we're probably nowhere there yet. But, you know, I think as we always say to our, you know, clients is, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's about starting and improving. So, Clearly, you know, Europe has started and has been, has been ahead, but I think you could never think, you know, ESG is so fast moving. If you stand still, right, you're left behind. You might have been the outperformer and top of your class, you know, last year. That doesn't mean anything for, for next year. And, you know, maybe whilst, you know, scope one, scope two, you know, was, was a good thing to have, you know, a while ago. It's, you know, by far not good enough anymore. So, you know, kind of now we're looking at scope three. You mentioned the supply chain earlier, right? We're kind of looking at ESG link pay. How do we kind of give the right incentives? So I think, you know, this is, this is just really, in, in my view, we're, we're some, somewhere at the start of this journey. And I think we will, we will see more and this, this develops. And, you know, as we, as we go along, as we learn and as we kind of really define on what is needed to, you know, to get where we want to get to. Thanks. And a final question. 
what's next for ESG? And this is very much linked to what you were just saying, because it feels like it's somewhat slipped down the agenda in Europe with the continent struggling to shore up its energy supplies with the war in Ukraine. So how do you see it evolving? Yeah, it, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I would say kind of it, it slipped down, but I, I definitely would say that the focus has changed, you know, in, in a way. We always had this shiny page and, you know, before the war in Ukraine started, you know, energy, you know, supply wasn't, you know, kind of the, the, the focus. We talked about energy transitioning. And I think what it really has shown, if you want to look at, at the positive side, is kind of that we also see a speeding up of the energy transition, as I think certain, you know, nation had to, you know, acknowledge that, you know, we need to do the things faster. So I think the IRA in the US, you know, has kind of massive investment in in, in clean tech, you know, in, in that way, which will help that. We've seen developments similar to support that transactory in, in Germany. So um, clearly, I think it, it has shifted the lens. And I think it also shifted, you know, a little bit from what we have seen anyway, from you know, we always focus on the E in ESG, kind of their environmental bit, because that was, I guess, also the most easy one to measure. That's why we started off with. And I think we would have already seen kind of a, a movement into the S, you know, and, you know, now this is even more of a topic, you know, the trust transition and, you know, as you just mentioned, the energy crisis is how can we do that? And, you know, how can we, what can we adjust to still, I guess, be true to our net zero targets that, you know, corporates and companies alike have really set. So I think that is definitely one to watch. And I think, you know, we, we will all, again, this is, um, it, it's, it's not an easy task to do. And I think the other thing, you know, if we talk M&A, you know, what one to keep an eye on clearly, I think, is is the, the SEC proposal in the US. You know, now expected in, in early 2023, I think they had about 15,000, you know, different incomings on, on their proposal. So we'll have to see, where it is in, in the final end, but we had loads of discussions with really kind of counterparts in Europe. And, you know, it comes back to the same thing in, in, in a way that we talked in, in the very beginning. If you want to get best valuation and the post, the, the, the best tension in, in your process, you really want to have the, the whole, you know, kind of world, the whole buyer base, um, as large as possible. And if the SEC proposal comes in, you know, this will make, you know, a big impact for European countries as well. Because, if it comes in as that, you know, and you're not, I guess, you know, really performing well on your ESG, you know, kind of tracking and, you know, measuring, I think you definitely will see kind of a tempered, you know, demand from, from the US. But yeah, the jury is still out on that. But that's definitely, I think, aside from, you know, seeing what happens on the energy crisis around DS and maybe the biodiversity is, is the other thing, which I think is definitely one on the horizon to watch. Great. Tanya, thanks very much. Thank you. Well, a pleasure. That was Tanya Gear, a Managing Director and Head of ESG Advisory for EMEA Sustainable and Impact Banking at Barclays Investment Bank. You can find a link to the report in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alerts. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us next week for another episode. Music.